Today, uh, what I wanted to talk about today is a uh, shift in financial responsibilities between patients and healthcare plans. Welcome to Med Practice Made Perfect. I'm Tom Mahar with Practice First Medical Management Solutions. My name is Tom Mahar. I have uh, run Practice First for the past 26 years. Uh, we specialize in uh, RCM management, revenue cycle management for physician practices, labs, etc. cetera. Um, I'm a New York State CPA. I have been uh, doing this uh, every day for uh, quite a while and uh, under understand that, you know, some of the challenges that uh, practices, uh, physicians, physician practices, their practice managers have as far as uh, getting, do, you know, getting paid what they, uh, what what they deserve. So back in 2004, um, through the Medicare Prescription Drug Improvement and Modernization Act of 2003, um, there started to be a more significant shift in responsibility of payments from insurance companies to patients. So when Obamacare um, came on the scene in 2010, uh, deductibles were typically in the range of $500 to $1,000. Um, and, you know, as we've gotten into 2022 today, I mean, we're into thousands of dollars with, uh, you know, gold, silver and bronze plans. So that's, uh, you know, really created a problem for you know, especially practices that have been around for a while that, you know, we're not very quick to change and adapt to uh, this shift in financial responsibility. So. Uh, you know, HSAs, of course, have been created and, uh, you know, a lot of folks, you know, fund these and pay all their medical expenses through, uh, you know, through HSAs. But regardless of whether they have HSAs or not, the bottom line is the burden is shifted to the patients. So, uh, you know, very simply, you know, the old way of doing things used to be, well, you know, the patient would come in the office, we collect the 10 or $20 copay. Uh, you know, we provide the service to the patient, say goodbye, schedule the next appointment, and, uh, you know, we're on our way. You know, the claim gets filed, the claim gets paid, the adjustment gets taken. Uh, we apply the deduct or the uh, co-payment that was received, and, uh, you know, we go from there. Everything, everything's fine. There aren't any patient responsibility at the end in that type of situation. So, you know, today it's, of course, much different. So, you know, the patient comes in and depending on where they are at in their high deductible uh, plan for their for their fiscal year in, in, in their plan, um, most of them reset January 1st. Not all, but most, you know, most companies start January 1st. So it's it's really, you know, critical at the, at the beginning of the year that instead of just going and collecting co-payments, um, what we really want to do is we want to take a look at and see, well, where's the patient in their high deductible uh, plan so far this year? So, uh, you know, a lot of folks, you know, a lot of different insurance plans, there's different ways to check these things. Many insurance plans, you just go to their website. These are, you know, of course, participating uh, insurance carriers that you're working with. And, you know, you go to their, you know, go to the website and put the information from the patient and you'll see, you know, you can, you can get a very quick read as to 
where they are in their in their uh, in their high deductible. So, uh, you know that that all sounds well and good, but the next question is, well, you know, how much money, how much money do I need to collect from the patient? And you know that's uh, that can be a very tricky uh, calculation, depending on what the uh, uh, what type of specialty you have. So you know, let's go through a a relatively simple example. Let's say that we have a primary care practice that's a fee for service practice. It's not a capitated practice, and you know the patient comes into the office. They're going to have a regular evaluation and management code. Let's say that it's a level three or a level four. Um, real easy, you know, you know, for the staff to say, well, you know, look at it. If it's a, if it's a newer established patient, level three or four, and it's for, you know, insurance company XYZ, it's real easy for us to find out what the allowed amount, what, you know, what that carrier is going to allow. So, you know, a simple example would be, you know, a new patient level four. Um, let's say that the carrier pays $125. Uh, we know that, you know, once that patient walks out of the exam room, assuming your provider has coded this claim already, we know it's a level four. Um, in that instance, all we would do is we would collect $125 and, uh, and, we, would go and we would go from there. Um, you know, we're, we're going to file the claim with the insurance carrier. Uh, the, the claim will come back with an allowed amount of $125. And, you know, at that point, uh, you know, long story short, I mean, the claim is, you know, the encounter is going to be at zero. There's nothing to collect or refund, you know, from or to the patient. So, you know, in that instance, um, you know, those are, uh, you know, those are fairly easy examples. The same thing would apply on an established patient, obviously, at a lower dollar amount. So, uh, you know, the, where it gets a little bit tricky is when we have specialists involved that might be doing multiple uh, CPT codes, multiple procedures or multiple tests. And, you know, we don't want to get into a situation where, uh, you know, there, there's tons of calculation to, to be able to figure out on the way out the door what that patient owes. So, you know, really, the easiest way to do this, what I found over time is the easiest way to do this is to of course, specific to your practice is to, you know, go through and determine, well, you know, what is my average new patient? You know, what, what is the average out of pocket for my, for my average new patient? What is my average, uh, you know, amount going to be for my average established patient? So, uh, you know, as long as we don't have tons of different procedures involved, that's relatively easy to do. Um, you know, where we come up with just an average dollar amount and then we're going to, you know, assess that patient on the way in the door. Maybe we say, um, you know, if it's a little bit more of an intensive practice, um, you know, there's, uh, you know, testing that's going to be more expensive. You know, we might charge that patient $200 or $250, um, you know, before they get back for their tests or for the exam and then basically tell them after the fact, you know, look at we will, um, you know, we'll settle this up basically once, once the carrier processes the claim. And once that carrier processes the claim, we will know, apply that, you know, $200, $250 payment that we collected up front. And then, you know, basically, you know, bill them the balance that's still owed. 
or refund them the money that might have been overcharged. So, you know, this latter example of establishing a dollar amount for you know new patients and established patients, it's a lot cleaner for your front office staff. Um, you know, the one thing, you know, when you try to start billing folks, um, you know, based upon, you know, what was actually done, you know, right then and there, it really assumes that, you know, your provider is coding that claim while they're in the exam room or they, you know, have a scribe that's, you know, doing this for them or, or something along those lines. And that is pretty difficult to do, um, especially when there's multiple CPT guards involved. So, um, you know, the general idea here is, is that um, I, I've seen many practices that don't want to, uh, you know, don't want to, uh, you know, address this uh, financial responsibility to patients. Um, and, and, I, and I can tell you, I mean, that is a grave mistake because it, 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 it causes really a, a few different, a few different issues. And, and the biggest issue is that, um, you know, if you've got to chase the patient on the backside, um, it, it is costly. And, uh, you know, I can tell you that, you know, you're going to receive a lot less, a lot less yield on each of your visits than you would had you not addressed this and faced it right up front. So, uh, you know, I mean, how, you know, how do you do that? I mean, you know, what's, what's the, what's, what's the, uh, motivating factor, um, to, to really improving the financial health of your practice? And, Really, what it boils down to is that, you know, really two main things I, I think it boils down to is that the first thing is, is that, you know, the folks that in, are in your office that are greeting those patients, those are some of the most important patients or the most important uh, employees in the practice and, you know, outside of the medical care, of course. But the reasoning is, is that, you know, I mean, it's like any other business. You go to a business, you want customer service. So, you know, you want to be greeted by a smiling face. You want to, um, you want to be welcomed. Um, it's very important if you have the right outgoing person at the front desk that is greeting folks. And, you know, depending on the size of the office, it might be a different person on discharge. Um, but depending on what your, your policy is and which route you decide to go as far as collecting money up front, um, you know, it's getting money out of that patient with a smile on your face um, before they get back to the exam room. You know, assuming you go with a situation where, um, you know, you say, well, look, a new patient's going to be 125, established patient's going to be 75. That's the rule. That's it. You don't get back to the exam room until, you know, to, you know, until you pay. So, um, you know, it, the, the large, you know, the high, you know, the, the, probably the hardest thing involved with it is it's changing a behavior that, you know, has been, you know, really ingrained, especially in folks that have been going to the doctor for a long time. You know, they were conditioned to, you know, paying, you know, 10 or $20 for many, many years. And then we had to shift to this, you know, this idea of more and more money um, being asked for from, from the patient. And, you know, many of them haven't, uh, still have not, uh, you know, adapted to it. Um, and, you know, I can tell you, you know, for many, many years, um, you know, long before high deductible plans, one of the one of the things that we would do in our practice in our practices is we would look at the idea of uh, remember the Medicare deductible. So we have the Medicare deductible every year for folks that are straight fee for service Medicare. 
And, um, you know, you know, the numbers used to be, you know, well, the first hundred dollars, you know, hits the deductible. So what we would do, um, is certain practices that were not real cash flow, uh, dependent or weren't too concerned and had enough uh, cushion in their practice. What they would do is we would just hold these claims. So, you know, the first month of service, the first month of the year, all the Medicare claims for January, we would just hold. Um, you know, normally it's, you know, we are not going to be the only provider, the only service, the medical service they're going to seek in January. So we might hold all the claims till the end of January, middle of February, and then release all the Medicare claims. So, okay, what does that accomplish? Well, somebody, you know, somebody else got stuck with, you know, chasing the patient down for the deductible. So, I mean, you know, you know, in today's day and age, it doesn't sound like a whole lot. Back then it was a, relatively big deal. It's the same sort of idea here. Um, you know, we'll see, uh, you know, today we see many cases where, um, you know, uh, you know, patients at the very beginning of their deductible, they're going to go into a healthcare facility for a surgery. And, you know, the surgeon will wait until, you know, the facility has sent their claim in. So the facility sends their claim in, um, you know, maybe it's a $3,000 deductible, you know, their bill is $10,000, whatever it is. Um, you know, the facility gets stuck chasing that patient down for the financial piece that relates to the patient. The surgeon sends their claim in, you know, end of January, middle of February, whatever. <laughs> you know, the nice thing is they can, you know, depending on how, uh, uh, you know, how much work you want to do on this. And some people are very serious about it and will not submit the claim until that deductible has been met. Um, they'll hold the claim for, you know, 25 or 30 days, go check the site. Yep. Patients met the deductible. Um, at that point, uh, you know, they'll file the claim. So, um, not everyone is in that financial position to be able to do that, but that would be a, uh, strategy that, you know, you could employ to, uh, uh, you know, to try to combat chasing large dollars from patients that might not have that, um, that, that money available. Um, you know, there's other situations. And of course, you've got to check all of your participating uh, agreements that you have with your insurance carriers to make sure you're not breaking any rules as far as um, you know, how you're, you know, how you choose to bill, uh, the patients and at what time you, 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 you go after, you know, go after these funds. So, you know, I, I've, I've seen situations where, you know, they don't want you to hold claims for, you know, too long a period of time because of timely filing. You've got to watch out anyhow. You know, some carriers have, you know, timely filing limits of 90 days. You've got to have the claim in 90 days. So certainly you would have to, you know, bill and you wouldn't want to get too close to that to jeopardize your, 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 uh, uh, your, your funds. So, you know, those are, uh, you know, a few ideas as it relates to the timing. And, and, you know, one of the things that is important beyond the, uh, insurance, you know, participating insurance contracts is, you know, you've got to check with your, I mean, state and local laws are different all over the country. Um, you know, when we get into financial policies and things of that nature, um, you know, you've got to make sure that you're within the laws, uh, not just the federal laws, but of course the state and local laws that, that might be applicable. Thanks for listening to Med Practice Made Perfect. 